Good morning, everybody. I count it a privilege to come and share with you some of the things that have been going on in Indonesia, and I'm here to encourage you to come. This morning, in my devotions, I was reading from the First Kings, chapter 4 and 5, and there Solomon is gathering the people around so that he can build the temple for God. And he needed many, many different types of people. He needed the, the people that could carry the wood, the people that could saw it, the people that could give it, and the people that could uh, carve it. And I saw that without the co cooperation of everybody, the work would never be done. And this is what I feel about Indonesia, about people who are willing to come and to share in the ministry there. And now that it takes all kinds of people to, to come. Yeah, well, I wasn't going to go into the shapes and the sizes and all that. But, you know, when you come on a mission trip, we sometimes need plumbers or carpenters or, or um, mechanics to do the, the um, work that we wouldn't consider spiritual but very necessary. But we also need teachers and pastors to minister and we need the young people to come and be part of it so as that they can see how our kids live and they can also uh, experience a fellowship with the children there and our children also will have a wonderful experience with the kids from here. Now, um, I'm going to show you a few slides or whatever you call them. I forget, in my era it was slides, but this is... Now, this is our kids. They, in the holidays, uh, Normally, they go away on study tours. And, you know, most people have to pay about $500 for their children to go on study tours. And they maybe have one or two children. But this year, we had 56 kids going to school. And we just felt that we couldn't financially do that. And so, the, we had the kids make their own tents and some of them are very colourful and, and beautiful. And uh, according to their age, they, they made their tents. And this is just one of them. And they had, um, you know, they had out in the, outside the food was put on huge banana leaves, just torn to the seam of the banana leaf. And then... Uh, each person's rice and maybe chicken or whatever they were eating for that day. And we can see it here. And the food was all cooked outside and it was the rainy season. So they were standing there with their umbrellas and cooking the food. And we have had children. I'm not sure how these go. Can I, oh, this is most of our children. Um, behind them, you can see uh, a shed or a storeroom, as we call it, 
And these people came from Australia, from the Church of Sunset Rock, and they built that shed for us together with some tanks. They installed water tanks because in the wet season, I mean in the dry season, we have very little rain and our children often have to go to the river to bathe and everything's done in the river. Everything, I mean everything. And so they can develop sores and different things from just bathing in that filthy water. So now we have six of these big tanks installed and um, we're able to, to facilitate the water situation. Now these are some of our young people that I would love for our young people to meet. These are the older children and they've just celebrated a birthday. And the man in the black shirt is the head of our foundation. And he, I hope you'll all be able to meet and talk with them. And then the next one, please. Oh, and I wanted to share this with you because sometimes we have a very, what will I say, warped uh, feeling about people from other religions. Now, they've just celebrated in Indonesia the Ramadan. And these ladies, these Muslim ladies, have come from the village and prepared a meal for our kids. And they have done it because they, they too believe that orphans are children of God and they believe that they have a right to minister to them. And so they came and you can see the food is pretty good. And um, our children enjoyed it. They respect, our children respect them. But they do go into the village, not all of them together, and they stand in front of people's homes and they pray for the people there, that, and not out loud, just silently, that one day they'll know Jesus. And we praise God that we have a lovely relationship with the people in and around our village. Now, I think I, I haven't spoken about this, although many of you know. This is Zoe. Zoe went to be with Jesus in February, and she was the love of my life because in, in the early days, she was 12 when she died, in the early days, people in Indonesia believed that those people that were handicapped in any way were not worthy of time spent on them. And so I used to take, even my staff, and I used to take Zoe into my office and I would play with her. And anything that white lady did, well, they wanted to do. So they all fell in love with Zoe. And when she, when she went to be with Jesus, our kids, when we brought her home from the hospital late at night, they all got up and brought their pillows into the, the uh, room and they said, Zoe has never slept alone and so we're going to sleep with her tonight. And they've watched over her. There's Zoe after she went to be with Jesus and that's just her body but I really wanted to make it special because 
She was a child that nobody would have loved and yet her ministry was that now everybody loves her and ministers to the uh, children, the, the handicapped children. Next. Now this is um, Christina. She is a child that was born in our orphanage, in our um, our, play, uh, our uh, home for single mums. And uh, she is now 17. And we praise God that she's in the first year of senior high and she's grown into a beautiful girl, not just in her in her um, appearance, but also in her heart. And we praise God for her, and we have so many children like that. Yes, the next. And this is Joshua. I think you have prayed for Joshua. He was found by the railroad tracks, and his lungs, when we found him, were just absolutely... Um, full of grime and whatever comes from railroad tracks and we took him to the hospital where he pretty much spent the first two years of his life and the doctors really didn't think that there was anything more that they could do for him and then a man, a doctor, came from Australia from St Peter's Cathedral actually and he examined uh, Joshua and he told us what we should do. And now Joshua's three and his lungs are free. He is healthy. But we need to continue to pray because in all of it, he's, he has a handicap, mental handicap. And we're believing that he will be able to go to school one day and... When you, when you come, you will have to knock him off with a stick because he'll just be all over you. Yes, next one. Is that the end? Okay, that's the end. My daughter-in-law is in Peru at the moment. Oh, sorry. My daughter-in-law is in Peru at the moment and she's gone on a mission trip with her particular church and before she left, or last year she went to Nicaragua and her daughter, who is now 10 but at the time was 8, she fasted and prayed for her mum while she was in Nicaragua that God would use her in some form of miracle. And she, when she came back, Emma said to me, you know, I just wanted God to, to use me because I'd, I felt so unworthy. And she said, and I went there and I prayed for this man who was deaf and God healed him. And so this time she's gone to Peru and she'll be home next week. No, this week. And she has um, sent photos and texts us to say that God has used her to uh, lay hands on the sick and to see God's miracle touch on their life and we praise God. Now, <clears throat> it's not just Emma that can do this. 
My next pitch, if you like, is all of you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had to close the church for two weeks while everybody came? I know that that's not, you know, that's not logical or possible. But there is a part for everybody to pray. And I would think that there will be people that can help us in the physical sense and there will be those that will do ministry uh, through teaching and preaching and singing. And we want you all to consider, but there's also the people that need to be the prayers and the givers. It doesn't happen unless we work together as a body to produce something that's going to be really great and a testimony to everybody that sees it. And so we're, we're going to have a meeting on the 18th of August. I think you're all invited. And you should pray about it in the meantime, seriously, as to whether you feel God wants you to come. You may say to me, which some of you already have, oh, but I don't have the money. But God does. He's the one, and if he's calling you to go there to do something, he will provide. Do you believe that? No? Oh, yes. Okay. I believe, and I believe that we can minister to one another for those that, that have can maybe help those that do not. And maybe there are others. We're going to have a project. I'm going to Indonesia in a couple of weeks and to talk about the projects that we could possibly be involved in. And that doesn't happen, uh, you know, with a wave of a magic wand. And so we want you to all seriously, seriously consider coming or... Maybe you can form a, a prayer group and a fasting group. And uh, while the people are away, it's not going to happen for 12 months or more, isn't it? And so we just believe that in that time, God will open up the way. If this is of God, he will open up the way for it to happen. And some of your pastors and teachers, we hope, will minister in the our theological school that my husband started and um, we believe they're going to be a tremendous blessing to the students there. We have about 100 kids in the Bible College and so there can be ladies, they can be gentlemen and there can be kids. We want the kids to minister too and to trust God and I'll be speaking to them next week about that. But, but we really invite everybody that feels that they can participate in com coming, even if it's just sitting in your seat but praying or that coming with us to go to Indonesia and make an impact there. Just leave it with you. Think about it. You've got about a month to think about it, to pray about it, and not, well, maybe, but if you feel God saying to you, I want you to go, then just put up your hand and say, I'm coming. I don't know how, but I'm coming. 
and I believe God will open up the way. Thank you. I told Ben he should go. He should go first so that I could keep going, but he's not silly. Isn't that wonderful? What a great encouragement. Mavis is a superstar. She inspires me and encourages me. And did you notice as she was asking you to come, see how the sun comes through the stained glass windows? It was a sign. I'll leave that thought with you. We're going to look at a parable today, very briefly, from Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Have you ever uh, felt compelled before to help? You ever felt like you just have to help, like it has nothing to do with friendship or relationship, it's almost an obligation. You ever had a church person come to you and say, hey, can you come and help me? And you really don't want to, but you kind of, or maybe your child or maybe your mum or a friend and neighbour come to you and say, hey, can you, can you come and help me? And you really don't want to. Has that happened to anybody this morning already? <laughs> Did that happen when you came to church this morning? <laughs> it happens all the time, doesn't it? We get asked to help out and do things and, and we kind of want to, but really we don't want to. And, but we're just almost compelled to help. It's almost like an obligation or a, I, I, I just have to help. I just have to help. We're going to read this passage this morning from the International Children's Bible Version. And it's really a a teaching about prayer. It's about confidence in and persistence in prayer, but it's really about the character of God, really. That's what it's about, the character of God and our faith in the character of God. And then at a particular verse, we're going to stop and... The kids are going to come and dish up some uh, rice in our KFC-sponsored cups, which we get for free. Uh, I'm not advertising KFC chicken, it's just they were free and we love free things at church. Uh, so we're going to have some, uh, some rice in just a moment and the kids are going to deliver rice Uber-style to you. So verse 1 of chapter 11 of Luke says, one time Jesus was praying in a place. When he finished, one of his followers said to him, John, taught his followers how to pray. Lord, please, oh sorry, my apologies. John taught us, taught his followers how to pray. Lord, please teach us how to pray too. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, We pray that your name will always be kept holy. We pray that your kingdom will come. And verse 3 says, Give us the food we need for each day. Thank you, kids. And Laura and back as you negotiate the handing out and the dishing out of rice. It will come to you nice and warm, ready to eat, so you can enjoy it right now. Rice is the staple food for about 50% of the world. Who had rice last night? Okay. Well, even more had rice this morning around the world. 
About 20% of the total energy we consume comes from rice. At the school in Imphal, they go through about 40 kilos of rice a week. That is a lot of rice. Did you see how much rice they put on those plates? That is lunch and dinner and often breakfast. I do not know where they put all that rice. I have no idea. But rice uh, is, is really, if we were in India or in Asia, they wouldn't say, give us this daily bread. They would say, give us rice. Give us rice. And so these kids are going to deliver Uber-style rice and some sauce to anybody who they see and please receive it with joy and enjoy some warm rice. In India, I ate a lot of rice, I'll be honest. Verse 4. Forgive us the sins we have done because we forgive every person who has done wrong to us and do not cause us to be tested. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you went to your friend's house at midnight and said to him, A friend of mine has come into town to visit me, but I have nothing for him to eat. Please loan me three cups of KFC rice. Your friend inside the house answers, Don't bother me. The door is locked. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you the rice now. I tell you, maybe friendship is not enough to make him get up and give you the rice. But he will surely get up and give you what you need if you continue to ask. So I tell you, continue to ask and God will give to you. Continue to search and you will find. Continue to knock and the door will be open to you. Yes, if a person continues asking, he will receive. And if he continues searching, he will find. And if he continues knocking, the door will be open for him. What would your fathers do if your son asked you for some fish? Well, if they're asking for garfish in a fish and chip shop, no way. That stuff's like eight bucks a pop. My kids are lucky to get dim sim. Would any of them, would any of you give him a snake? Or if a son asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Even though you are bad, you know how to give good things to your children. So surely your heavenly Father knows how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, to those who ask him. This very interesting parable has an important context and the context is found in the first few verses. And the first few verses we know as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus, teach us to pray. And so the context of this parable is in the teaching of the disciples on how to pray. Surely the disciples knew how to pray. What an odd question to ask. Occasionally I get asked, how do I pray? But most of the time it's not a question we ask, is it? We just kind of get it or we don't really want to ask because it's a bit embarrassing. Because we know prayer should be fairly simple and straightforward. But I reckon if we were really honest right now, if I was to ask you, do you like not know how to pray? 
Do you find it hard to pray? Is prayer something which is difficult? If we were really honest, I reckon a number of hands would go. In fact, I would be confident to say that well over 50%. In fact, I would say 70%. I might even go as high as 85 Prayer is hard, is it not? It's hard to get time to pray. It's hard to know what to pray for. We start to pray and within about five minutes it's like, okay, what next? Occasionally my wife says the same thing to me. We sit there and talking about something and you get distracted. Has anyone been distracted before? It's hard to pray. I love the Lord's Prayer because it begins with the important aspect of relationship. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That for people who wanted to know how to pray, whatever their cultural context was for the disciples, it was important for Jesus to identify that it starts with relationship. It starts with Father. Father. Relationship. God is all about relationship with us. It starts with relationship and moves on from there to reverence and authority and provision and forgiveness and forgiving and living sacrificially. Do, do you realise that, that for us to live our life in such a way that, that we avoid temptation and we live for Christ is, is in a sense a sacrifice for us? Like it's easier to do the wrong thing, would you agree? Sometimes it's attractive to do the wrong thing. Sometimes the temptations we face are, are really attractive and really nice, like that Daryl Lee dark chocolate fruit and nut block that I cracked open last night. Church is a place of confession. So we joke about chocolate, but, but really we're talking about harder temptations and harder issues. That when you walk in a certain way before God, when you walk upon His way, you are sacrificing the desires that you have in here, those inclinations to do other things, to, to fall into the trap of other things. That when you give time to Christ, you're sacrificing some time that you would have given normally elsewhere. Does that make sense? I think it's entirely appropriate that as disciples we, we understand that there is a strong element of our life that is a constant sacrifice, a consistent, constant sacrifice. So I love how the Lord's Prayer has a progression. It has a, 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 a growing understanding. It begins with relationship. And from that point, we progress through to a place where we are willing to sacrifice. That takes faith. That is the context of this parable. And so if I had to summarise this parable with one word, I'd say it's gimme. But it wasn't enough for me. So maybe it's daily bread or our daily needs, but that really wasn't enough for me either. I just think it's simply about faith. Faith. Let me explain why. In the first part of the parable, it's, it's kind of broken into two sections. It's got a section of a midnight friend who rocks up at midnight and then it's got the bit about the father and snakes and scorpions. And so the first aspect of this parable is the idea of someone who, who finds themselves without anything to give to someone else who is arriving at their house. 
Have you ever had someone pop around and you weren't ready and you raced to the pantry and you pulled out the emergency Tim Tam pack? It was behind glass, you broke the glass, you pulled it out and you put it there. Have you ever had that happen to you before? Or you've called up pizza and brought, or you've, you've just made something really quick. Have you ever had that moment where you actually have nothing to offer? I don't think that's the case for most of us. But in the culture of the day, it was mandatory. It was an emergency. In the same way, people at 9-11 raced and put themselves in the way of danger to save people. That, that same instinct, that same, that same instinct that people have to, to almost sacrifice themselves for someone else. In the culture of the day, when someone came to your house, it was culture, it was a reflex that was absolutely normal to offer hospitality, proper, fresh, roti hospitality. And that hospitality was mandatory. It was so bad, absolutely atrocious. It was terrible if you didn't have that hospitality to offer to them. It was really, really, really bad. So this is the context of the passage. And, and, and what this most interesting parable, what, what Jesus does is he says, it's not about friendship. I mean, neighbours are generally friends. It's not about friendship that causes this person to get up. It's something else. It's something more. And scholars have a lot of trouble trying to understand and unpack this parable. You see, in some respects, it's the fact that the person... Uh, wants to, who, the person who has need of food from his neighbour, he has to satisfy the cultural need of the day. He, he wants to avoid shame. He, he, he wants to keep credibility. And the one who's being asked, the one who's asleep, who's being asked, uh, to not respond to that, to not respond to that neighbour in that crisis would be a terrible thing to do. So you could look at it from the perspective that the response to the request isn't about a relationship, it's simply about honour. It's simply about a cultural exchange or a cultural transaction. It's simply about being the fact that that is what ought to happen. Can I just say that that's how some people actually live their life with our Heavenly Father. That's how some people actually view God, that it is very little relational and more about that's just what's supposed to happen and that's just how it's supposed to be. This parable is a marvellous parable that speaks to our culture today. And in many respects, we would more than happy to have an impersonal God, an impersonal relationship, and simply go to our Heavenly Father when there's that crisis, when there's that moment of crisis. That's when we'll go, and, and we'll go at midnight, and we'll shout out, Hey, help! You see, in this parable, who is the God character? Who is the God character, the one who's asleep. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, it, it's, it's not about relationship or, or, or friendship, it's, it's just about honour or it's just about, you know, no one being embarrassed. That's one aspect that scholars process through. That's called a positive aspect of the issue of shame that's captured within this first part of the parable. But then there's the second part, the second view that comes from this uh, first part of the parable. And that is that this person who had need was just so audacious, was just so bold, was almost rude, just knocked on the door of someone who was asleep, 
and not just asleep, but had children in their bed. Just so, it's just the worst possible thing. It, like, you just wouldn't do that. Have you had someone come to your place at midnight and say, hey, can I please borrow five bucks? I haven't had that for a long time. In fact, it was so long ago that I remember young Michael Shahadi, Beck's brother, I got a phone call at 2am and I was married to Beck within about a year, so that kind of gave him rights, I guess. And he said, my car's broken down, can you come get me? I think, what? I'm not your dad. And then he said, I don't want dad to know. Oh. So at 2am in the morning, I race and get a, a car trailer, head to the top of uh, Wollonga Hill, find them on the side of the road, pull them onto the trailer, drive down to Shahadi's house, drop the car off at 7am, and of course, who's coming out to get the paper? <laughs> Could have saved me a whole lot of effort and pain. Could have saved a whole lot of trouble. There was a lot of fear in that young man at that moment, because this car had been tormented by several of the Shahadi children. And he was but the third to torment it. So, so there, was this, there was this audacious aspect of my brother-in-law that just called me up. Just like, just, you know what, I'm just going to call Ben because I just have to have his help. Like there's no one else I can call. I'm not part of the RAA. I'm not part of this. I'm definitely not going to call, you know, my dad. I'm, I'm just going to call Ben. There was something audacious. There was something almost rude about it. There was something just improper about that. He should have called his brother. Just kidding. So there's this other aspect of, the, of this parable that, you know what, we have, no, we have no basis to even go before God to ask Him for anything. He's so awesome and so mighty and so amazing and so powerful and so far beyond us that there is no basis by which we could even come into His throne room and ask. It's just too far beyond us. So this is how Jesus expresses the idea of what prayer is all about. Fascinating first part of the parable, is it, is it not? Then there's this pause. There's this pause in between the two sections of the parable. And, and, and Jesus just bottom lines it. He just said, listen, just ask, seek and knock. Just like, if you don't understand what I just said, that, that's okay. But just, just ask, seek and knock. It, it's okay. That's, that's what prayer is. You're allowed to ask. You're allowed to seek. You're allowed. In fact, you're invited to ask. You're invited to seek. You're invited to knock. Because it really begins with that idea of Father. Are you really in relationship with God? Do you really enjoy that relationship with Him? The second part of the parable kind of begins to express this relational aspect, this, this context of, of why we pray and how we pray. It was perfectly normal for a child to want some food. Who, like, like my kids want food all the time. And I'm usually happy to provide it, especially on the way between here and home, because there's Hungry Jacks on Glenburn Road, there's Maccas on McGill Road, there's Maccas at Felixstone. If I'm desperate, there's Maccas at Collinswood. 
I've got them mapped out perfectly. My favourite fish and chip shop is OG Road. There's my pizza bars are in the zone. I have this trip from here to home covered. And all my kids need to do is say, Dad, why don't we go to Woolworths and look for some bargains? Okay, if we have to. I mean, what dad doesn't want to give their child bread? Why would I give them a snake unless it's Alan's snakes? <laughs> of course, it's normal, it's natural. Of course a father wants to provide for their children. Of course, they don't just want to provide, they, they want to lavish and provide more than enough. Kids, more than enough. Your parents give to you more than enough. More than enough. What did you have for dinner last night, Elsa? She doesn't remember. It was that good. It was that the meal was that spectacular. It's like you just you had don't have the words to describe. Either that or she's fasting about going to Indonesia. I'm not sure which. So the second part of this passage introduces this idea of. Of, of, of course. I mean, what, what father on earth would put a scorpion into the hand of their... Of, of course. Of course that's what dads want to do. Of course that's what a father wants to do. Of course that's what a father provides for. Now, sometimes we have some earthly fathers in our world that don't always do the right thing. And we can superimpose our experience of the world and, and superimpose that upon our heavenly father. And that's the wrong way around. We ought to go the other direction, where we, we take who our Heavenly Father is and we impose that on how I ought to live or, or how I ought to see fathers living. That is the standard there by which we live by, not the other way around. So, of course, of course, of course. So, asking and seeking and knocking, well, whether it's the complex matters of reputation and honour and... A, and and avoiding shame, or whether it's just normal desire of family, whether you feel like you're in relationship with God or whether you don't feel like you're in relationship with Him, Jesus just says, listen, just, just ask, just seek, just knock. In other words, Jesus is saying, you know what? All those reasons why you shouldn't, don't let that stop you. You feel unworthy? Don't let that stop you. You feel like you've got to get your life right before you speak to God? Don't let that, just put that to one side. You, you, you feel like you're not the best Christian, so why would God, no, no, just, just, just put that to one side. You, you, you feel like it's you're not sure how to pray and you want to do it right, and, but you don't have time to pray and you know you hardly ever pray and you're simply just a crisis requester. It's only in the crisis that you go to God. And so you feel a bit bad about that. You feel like you've got to have a relationship. You've got to read the Bible for a week and then you can take something to prayer. I mean, this is what we feel, isn't it? This is what we face. What does Jesus teach us? Jesus says, just knock, just ask, just seek. Because remember, it all starts with Father. And I don't know about you, but most kids don't have a choice in that. Before a kid, there's a mum and a dad. And too often we reverse it and try and reverse engineer it. That's not how it works. This parable is a beautiful picture 
precious picture. How much more will your Father in heaven? And that is the concluding king hit of the parable. Whatever you understand it to be at the start, whatever you understand those other things to be for you, this is the concluding king hit. This is, this is after, after being taught to pray. Well, of course pray, because how much more will God do all these things? How much more? How much more? How much more? Kids, how much more does God love you than your parents? A lot more. Anna, that was too quick. Imagine that your God can provide you with your needs. Imagine that you can provide yourself with your needs. How much more can God? How much more? You know how to avoid shame. You know how to keep credibility. You know how to dress when you go down to Burnside Village. You, you, you know how to act and drive in your car. You know how to live in a certain way. You, you know how to, how to get the needs met. You know how to get the things that you need sorted. Well, how much more does God know? How much more can God provide you? You see, I want to say that this parable is, and that's the parables of Jesus, why they're so beautiful, that's why they're wrestled with in every generation until eternity. It's because they've got so much depth and so much angle. You see, it's not just about persistence. It's not because of the persistent prayer that God goes, okay, you've prayed that, you've asked for healing for three and a half years, tick, now I'm going to give it to you. That is not the point of the parable. Yet it does encourage us to persist. You understand? Does that make sense? It's not that I've, I've done things in a certain right way, like we saw those indigenous people of Manipur taking their shoes off, going up the steps, touching the steps into their head in a certain way, going up the steps again and offering their prayers and sacrifice in the right way to their deity. That's not how God works for us. It's not about that. That is not what causes God to say, yes, I will answer prayer and no, I won't. It's, it's almost in spite of that. It's almost got nothing to do with that. You see, the real point of Jesus teaching this prayer, this prayer in a certain way, and the point of this parable I want to encourage you is that Jesus is just saying, you know what, that's just who God is. That is the character of God. And if that's just it, what does that require of us? Faith. Do you believe that that is the character of God? Do you believe that that is who God is, one who hears and answers prayer. Do you believe that? That is why I would say to you that this is a parable of faith. God eagerly hears the prayers of people. He already has a bias towards us, a favor towards us. God can be trusted to respond. Those things require faith. It's not just persistent in prayer but it's persistence in faith in God. Is that okay? So we're going to conclude and we're going to look at what 
these beautiful young kids have written. They have had a small task. On their task sheet, they had asked, seek and knock and they had to write some things on there about what they are asking and seeking and knocking, what they are hoping for from God. And so I'm going to do this impromptu moment now and we're going to try and come up with something and I'm going to give it to Laura right now. Everyone's quite up to that bit yet, Ooh. but we've got a few people. So Elsa and Andrew have both written something. So come up here, guys. They've both written something on their page and everyone else is still colouring and sticking and we're getting there. All right, so come up here and you can show. And if you want, I can read it. Do you want me to read out what you've got there or do you want to say it? I'll read it. Okay. So here we've got Andrew's uh, knocking hand. See, the hand goes... Knocks on the door and then you can open the door. Aha. And inside it says, ask, seek and knock, God hears and will answer. But something that Andrew's praying for is to help homeless people and to make uh, sure they go, is that go to church, Andrew? Is that what you've got on there? And to help them go to church. Maybe he, um, he would like homeless people to come to know God and to come to know Jesus if they don't already know him. Good job. Uh, so, and then he's also got another prayer on there for his family. So that's really, really wonderful. Thanks, Andrew. And then Elsa's got, oh, she's praying here for her sister's exam results to be really good. So that's a lovely prayer. And inside she's got the same. So thank you very much, Elsa. Isn't that beautiful? What are you praying for? What are you hoping for? What are you knocking, asking and seeking? What is the good gift? What is the good gift that Jesus speaks of? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. The Holy Spirit will never leave us. Will teach us everything that Jesus said. That is the best gift. The best gift that we could ever have, the best gift that Jesus could ever leave us with. We have the Holy Spirit. Let's close our eyes and pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you taught us to pray, that, Lord, you reminded us that it is all, always begins with, everything comes from, that it's about the relationship status that you have with us, you are Father. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Lord, help us to pray with confidence. Help us to knock and, and seek and ask that, Lord, we would uh, Lord, not be afraid and, and not put our own requirements and our own prerequisites and our own processes in the way. Yet, Lord, we would just know that Lord, it's, it's, it's your character. It's who you are. It's who you are that you would hear our prayer, that you would have favour towards us and that you would answer. Lord, we are so thankful for the good gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to, Lord, give time and give space that we might pray, that we might trust and hear your still small voice, that we might receive from the Word of God a revelationary 
piece of wisdom and instruction, something that does our heart good. Lord, we trust you and we love you. Help us, Lord. Everybody said, Amen. God bless you. After.